and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothe me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Lord, we pray that that psalm and the sentiment and the heart of that psalm would be ours as well. Whatever we are experiencing right now, help us to see that joy comes in the morning that you are the lifter of our heads, you are the lifter of our hearts, you are the one who clothes us with gladness, who turns our mourning into dancing. We would give you thanks and delight in you forever. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, if you come over to my house, if you come over to my house, I can play two songs for you that they, they will sound odd if I play them back to back. The first song is by Johnny Cash, and the name of the song is Man in Black. And I'm going to read you, I edited it a little bit for length, I'm going to read you some of the words from Johnny Cash, Man in Black. Well, you wonder why I always dress in black, why you never see bright colors on my back, and why does my appearance seem to have a somber tone. Well, there's a reason for the things I have on. I wear the black for the poor and beaten down. I wear it for the prisoner. I wear the black for those who've never read or listened to the words that Jesus said. Well, we're doing mighty fine, I do suppose, in our streak of lightning cars and fancy clothes. But just so we're reminded of the ones who are held back up front, there ought to be a man in black. I wear it for the sick and lonely old. I wear the black in mourning for the lives that could have been. I'd love to wear a rainbow every day and tell the world that everything's okay, but I'll try to carry off a little darkness on my back Till things are brighter, I'm the man in black. Now, if I played that for you, and I did this this morning for myself and for Lauren, played that one, and then back to back with it, played uh, a, a, a Tony Bennett song. It's actually a song that was written by Irving Berlin and originally sung by Fred Astaire, but the Tony Bennett version of it is probably the most well-known version of Stepping Out With My Baby. Okay? Stepping out with my baby, can't go wrong because I'm in right. It's for sure, not for maybe. 
that I'm all dressed up tonight. There'll be smooth sailing because I'm trimming my sails in my top hat and my white tie and my tails. I'm stepping out with my baby or uh, a little bit further in Tony Bennett's Stepping Out uh, album or CD, we could listen to another Fred Astaire song uh, in, in which he says, when, when, you're, when you feel like your mood is down and you, and you need something to pick yourself up, something to change your attitude, what you should do is give a tug to your tie, put a crease in your pants, but if you really want to feel fine, you know what you got to do? Interesting. I would like to know how many people could re repeat that next line. If you want to really feel fine, give your shoes a shine. Give your shoes a shine and you will really feel fine. All right, so who is right? Who's right? Is Johnny Cash right or is Tony Bennett right? How should we dress? Now those songs represent a contrast that is present within the psalm that we just read today. In the psalm, it's framed like this. The question is, should we wear sackcloth or clothing of gladness? Which one suits you best? Which one suits the people of God best, sackcloth or clothing of gladness? Psalm 30 is a psalm of praise, a psalm of thanksgiving for the deliverance that God has worked for the psalmist. But it is not a nice, smooth, linear psalm, meaning it is not a psalm that, for example, starts at the bottom, starts with the psalmist in the pit, and then slowly works its way out of the pit, as many psalms are. Or, for that matter, it doesn't start on level ground, go down to the pit, and then go up to praise from it. Instead, while that message is true, and while that's certainly part of the theme here, the psalmist wants to give us a little bit of a different way to look at it rather than just a smooth progression. And what he then decides to do is, I'm going to go back and forth with you. I'm going to ping pong this back and forth and allow you to see the pit and the mountain and go back and forth in almost every verse and in some of the verses three times within the verse itself between, for example, Sheol and life in verse 3, in verse 5, between anger, favor, weeping, joy, night, morning, verses 6 and 7, between I will never be moved, and then the very next statement, I was dismayed, he goes back and forth. And thus our focus today, and that's where he comes to with this, to, to set up this final contrast that's within the psalm, is sackcloth or clothing of gladness. We're going to talk first about sackcloth this morning. Sackcloth, uh, which of course would correspond in the songs that I quoted earlier, to the man in black. Now, sackcloth is used throughout the Bible. You might be surprised by that. Of course, it is used in the Old Testament, but it's referenced at least throughout the New Testament as well, all the way up to the book of Revelation, people wearing sackcloth, examples of that. Here, here's an interesting tidbit for you. Uh, just throw this one in for free. The Hebrew word for sackcloth is sack. The, the Greek word for sackcloth is sakos. The Latin word for sackcloth is sacus. And our word for sackcloth is sackcloth. I don't know how that happened, that it carried all along there, but there you go. You've got a universal linguistic kind of just 
all things the same and, and the word, the idea of sackcloth. It's a coarse material generally understood to be made of goat's hair and it was designed for carrying something, for example, like corn or like cornmeal. And obviously, by references in the psalm that's before us today or by your familiarity with other passages of Scripture, it is also something that could be worn, something that could be put on. Now, we don't know exactly how people would have put on sackcloth. It's possible that you took an old sack and you ripped the sides of it out, you cut a hole in the middle and you just kind of put it over you as sackcloth. Or it's possible because of the, some of the phraseology that's contained in the scriptures that sackcloth was actually something that was worn around the waist when you wore it. It was girded up around your waist. But in any case, it was quite literal. Okay, we're not just talking about something that doesn't exist. We're talking about something that's actual, that people would have known and, and people would have actually used for the work that they were doing and for dress in particular situations that we'll understand in a moment. But in addition to it being literal, clearly, and this is clear in Scripture, it's clear in other cultures as well, clearly it has a symbolic meaning to it as well. It's a metaphor. Something is being communicated when you wear sackcloth. And this is something that I've said from the beginning of this series, and I'll go all the way through the end of this series. Clothing communicates. We cannot get apart from it. Clothing communicates. And when you are wearing sackcloth, you are not just wearing sackcloth because it was the next thing in the closet to pick out. You're trying to communicate something when you are wearing sackcloth. Now, just to round out the picture a little bit, when you wore sackcloth in the Old Testament, for example, it was often combined with several other elements that were part of wearing sackcloth. So, for example, we often see fasting combined with sackcloth. Sometimes we read about sackcloth that in addition to fasting, you would put ashes over yourself or earth or dirt over yourself when you wore sackcloth. Sometimes there's a position that is mentioned that when you are wearing sackcloth, you're in fact prostrate and you're lying face down with your head down in the dirt when you're wearing uh, sackcloth. And then, and then one other element that is part of it is a, a part of this symbolic and I think quite literal process involved the tearing of garments. So you would, you would rend one set of garments, you would tear one set of garments, and you would go and get the sackcloth and put the sackcloth on yourself. So when and why then would you wear sackcloth? Well, sackcloth, and, and, and we'll see this in Scripture pretty clearly, is a visible expression of anguish, of grief, of distress that the person is experiencing either, uh, either in body or soul or someone they know. There's something that is causing them great turmoil, and that's why you would put on the sackcloth. You would wear sackcloth as the occasion called for wearing sackcloth. So, for example, you might wear it in times of grief. To take an early example of this, when Jacob hears the news that his son, Joseph, has been certainly torn apart by wild animals, we read this in Genesis, then Jacob tore his garments 
and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. Or to take another example of this, I think of Mordecai. When Mordecai hears the news of the decree that has been passed that will lead to the slaughter of the Jews in the various towns, we read this in Esther uh, chapter 4. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. Those were times of shocking news, times of great grief. But sackcloth was also used to express uh, contrition, to express sadness over one's sin, to do that before others and to do it before the Lord as well. It was, in the best sense of this term, kind of a a self-conscious self-humiliation. I'm going to bring myself down by putting on sackcloth. Let me give you a couple of examples of that. In Nehemiah, we read this, Nehemiah 9, now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquity of their fathers. And and let me give just one more because this is one uh, that is well known to us as well. And it shows that this idea of sackcloth went between cultures. So, you know the story of Jonah, and Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he preaches the uh, bad news that Nineveh is about to be destroyed. And then we read Jonah 3, verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. It crossed cultures. It was the response of people when they were confronted by their own, in this case, their own wickedness, their own sin. The the link then between what is going on situationally and what one is wearing and what's going on in the heart is clear in all of the passages that I just read. But let me just say one thing that you're aware of, and just to say it out loud as we move through this, there is a danger with this. There's a danger that existed within the Old Covenant, and there's a danger that existed with it as you come into the New Covenant as well. And the danger is that externals, that is to say, what you are wearing can just be that, external. 
It can just be what you are wearing, and it can lack connection with or integrity with what's going on inside of your heart. And therefore, to use an example that is within the sphere of what we're talking about today, in, in the prophet Joel, God says to the people through Joel, rend your hearts, not your garments. Rend your hearts, not your garments. That's equivalent to places in scripture where we see, for example, circumcise your hearts. Okay, That's the same kind of thing that is going on in the passage. I swear there are more than one motorcycle Sundays that happen in this place. Just, just do those doors right there and don't worry about the rest. We'll just do the doors and we'll try and make do with uh, that. And just move them along. One of you big guys, go out and tell them to keep moving along uh, quickly and not uh, rev as they come by. Okay, so uh, the, the idea here in these passages, rend your hearts, not your garments, is let's have integrity between what you're wearing and what in fact is going on in your heart. Now we come to Psalm 30 and the psalmist has sackcloth on for several reasons when we look at this psalm. He has sackcloth on because apparently he's had some kind of a significant illness, a significant sickness in his life, and so he's got sackcloth on. But in addition to having the sickness, what has happened or is happening is that his enemies are mocking him for that sickness. So his enemies are saying, look, where's your God in this situation? Where is all of this help, this strength that your God may have? And the, he says, I'm going to put sackcloth on as a response to this. And then as well, the psalmist says, there's no praise going up to you. I'm going to put sackcloth on right now. Uh, Joe, can you get those guys moving along? Uh, there's no praise going up to God as a result of the fact that he's now ill, he's now sick, and he can't lead people in prayer. He can't himself take people into worship and worship the Lord. And then in this psalm as well, and we're not going to go into this in any depth, but we see the connection with the psalmist's personal sin as well. That's in verse 6 of the psalm. What he says there is, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. And the idea here is when things were going well, it feels to us like, well, things are going well and things are always going to go well in our lives. Do you know those guys, Joe? <laughs> Joe was a former cop in White Marsh. I'm wondering if he can do anything here to take care of that. Um, and so the psalmist looks at the situation and says, listen, I will always stand strong. I'll always be strong. I said that in my pride, but then the Lord dismayed me. The Lord shook things around me. He hid his face, and I was dismayed. I was dismayed when that took place. So all of those are the reasons that the psalmist is wearing sackcloth, but what we read when we get down to verse 11 of this psalm is that the sackcloth is loosed. Okay, so those are all of the reasons why one might have sackcloth on, but the psalmist gets to the point where the sackcloth has been loosed. Why has the sackcloth been loosed? Well, it's been loosed because God has worked deliverance. There's been a healing that has taken place. There's been help that has been given. There has been the forgiveness of the sins in response to the psalmist's pleas for mercy 
because of the pride and the arrogance that he had shown. And he says, you have turned my mourning into dancing. I was here, I was in mourning, I was in sackcloth, I was in ashes, I was in this place. You've turned my mourning into dancing. And you don't dance in sackcloth. You don't dance in sackcloth. When you dance, you put on your dancing clothes. You put on the garments, the clothes of gladness. Now, interestingly, maybe, maybe interestingly to some, the song Man in Black was written in 1971. 1971 was one of the darkest times of the Vietnam War that was still going on. And the song then fit the time. I, I mourn, I wear the black for the lives that might have been. We're losing a hundred men a week. Whereas the other song, Stepping Out With My Baby, Irving Berlin, came out in the musical Easter Parade in 1948. 1948, before the Korean War and after World War II, it was, Ecclesiastes, a time to dance. There's a time to mourn, and there is a time to dance, and there's a time to put on your dancing clothes, to take off your sackcloth and put on your dancing clothes, or let me go back to the language of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a time to tear and a time to sow. Got it? That's what's being communicated there. There's a time to sew the garments back together and go, oh, the Lord has been good. The Lord has brought joy where there was sadness. There is an opportunity for transformation and for dancing to take place. The psalmist is clothed with gladness, gladness, and he is ready for the dance. Now, I know many of you in this room really well. Some of you have been around for a long time. Some of you are here in your very first Sunday that you are here. I know that there are people in this room who love to dance. I have danced with you. I have seen you out on the dance floor, and I have seen that you will never get off the dance floor as long as there is some music playing, no matter how bad it is. You will stay on the dance floor, and you will dance. And I know others of you who are petrified of dancing, who would rather do anything than get out on the dance floor and try to dance. I have seen that. Uh, and likewise, let me just say this for the record, uh, obviously, especially in our culture, there are some forms of dance that are either more or less appropriate for the people of God. And I'm not going to try to define what that is or the boundaries on any of that for a moment. I'm gonna leave that aside and ask you this question, what clothes would you wear if you knew you were going dancing? Personal example, Lauren, uh, when she picked out her wedding dress, that was a few years ago. When she picked out her wedding dress, there was no say yes to the dress, and so you didn't spend tons of time thinking about the dress, you spent some time thinking about the dress. But I know the questions that Lauren asked when she was picking out the dress, they were these. How will it spin? when my then husband spins me in a dance, and how will it dip? When my then-to-be husband dips me in a dip, how will it do in those situations? And to this day, if she's picking out a dress, I guarantee you that one of the things that will take place in our room when she's trying it on is, let's spin and see how it spins. 
and she'll think about the jewelry that she's wearing if we go out to go to a dance. And the reason is we like to interlock our fingers when we dance, and golly, that can hurt if you've got the wrong rings or things on there. Uh, they can really rub the wrong way. And she'll think about the shoes that she gets and whether or not they'll slide well in the course of dancing. For the psalmist, God turned his mourning into dancing. Verse 11, he loosed the sackcloth and he gave him the clothing of gladness. But the psalmist takes it a step further. The psalmist is not just about his own personal gladness, though his own personal gladness is deep. The psalmist wants to go beyond his own personal happiness or his own personal gladness, and that's why in verse 4 he addresses the saints. He takes it one step further and says, I'm not only concerned about me being glad, I, I want all y'all to be glad as well. I want everybody to join into this celebration and this dance that we are having. Now, we've got to go further than that because the psalmist goes further than that. The reality is lots of people experience gladness. Lots of people experience gladness in this world. And in fact, Paul makes this very point when he is preaching the gospel in Lystra in Acts chapter 14. They have healed someone, and the people of Lystra respond to the healing by beginning to ascribe to Paul and Barnabas godlike qualities. Like, you're, you're, like, you're like Zeus. And when Paul and Barnabas hear about it, do you remember what they do? They rush out into the midst of the people, and what do you do? Tear your garments. Rend the garments. Say, no, 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 no. It can't be this way. And as they're then giving the testimony, describing, they say this about God. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. That's what God has done. God has sprinkled out gladness into the world. But the psalmist, back in Psalm 30, is not interested in some kind of detached gladness, some kind of common gladness, even if that common general gladness is from God, ultimately, that's not the object of his focus here. Instead, he is talking about gladness that is of the Lord, in the Lord, and unto the Lord. The kind of gladness that the psalmist experiences is the kind of gladness that makes you want to come to worship, that makes you want to gather up the people of God and sing praises to God because he has done great things, because he has liberated you, because he has forgiven you, because he has delivered you from whatever he has delivered you from. That's what the focus of the psalmist is. Now, if that is true for him, if that is true for the psalmist, then how much more should it be true for those of us who are clothed in Christ? Clothed in the work of Jesus Christ, completed, proclaimed, recorded. How much more should that be true for those of us, of us who are clothed in the Holy Spirit, which will be the subject of next week's sermon. 
In the Bible, ashes, as we've pointed out, are associated with sackcloth and with mourning, and you can work this theme all the way out. Ashes uh, are associated with the sackcloth, but then oil is associated with the clothing of gladness. Fasting with sackcloth, feasting with the clothing of gladness and with oil. Prostrate for sackcloth and ashes and earth on your head. No, 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 not, not prostrate in the clothing of gladness. Dancing, dancing in the clothing of gladness. Now let's think of Jesus. Last week we read, and you don't need to turn to it right now, Psalm 45, and in Psalm 45 we read this. God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And then we get a description of the clothes that immediately follow this. You've been anointed with the oil of gladness above your companions. So the question becomes this. What does the one anointed with the oil of gladness do with that anointing? What does Jesus do with the anointing? Well, in a couple sermons back, we saw that in one sense he takes the garments of gladness, sits them aside, takes on the garments of humiliation, our garments of humiliation, and suffers death and humiliation and shame on our behalf, and in his resurrection and ascension is given back the garments of gladness that belong to him. What does he do with the garments of gladness, with the oil of gladness? It's on the front of your bulletin. It's on the front of your bulletin. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is what Jesus read, right? When he came into the temple after his baptism, after his anointing, after the Spirit had descended upon him in his baptism, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to grant to those who mourn in Zion. So, okay, to the mourners, here's what I'm granting, and there are a number of things I'm skipping here, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That's what he does. Jesus is in full possession of the oil of gladness, and what he does with the oil of gladness is he pours it out on you. He pours gladness over your head. Imagine the image, gladness being poured out, washing down upon us that Jesus has given to us. The anointed one anoints with gladness. That is what Psalm 30 is about. That is what Isaiah 12, Isaiah 12 is about, which was your call to worship this morning. Psalm 92, 4, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. A simple statement, a simple little song. You have made me glad. The joyful one, Jesus, says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. What joy do you have, Jesus? I've been anointed with the oil of gladness. What joy do I have? I have perfect joy. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be at half cup level. That your joy, that, that you might have a drop of joy, that, that you might have just a, little, just a little taste of joy. Know that your joy might be made full. There's an excess in the gladness in the clothing that God provides. God does not merely provide the necessities. Enough to get by, but not too much because I don't want to spoil, spoil you. 
in each of these sermons I've referenced Ezekiel 16. Let me continue with Ezekiel 16. I clothed you. Listen to the way God says he clothed a naked, bloodied Israel that he's now washed and clothed. I clothed you with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk, and I adorned you with ornaments, and I put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck, and I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen, silk, an embroidered cloth. That's excessive. That's excessive. Israel didn't need all of that. We don't need all of that. And yet God says, if I'm going to give you joy, I'm not about doling it out in the smallest portions possible because there's no shortage. There's no lack of it for me to distribute. My intention is to give you joy and full Joy, gladness are part of the essence of the work of Jesus. Gladness is not incidental to the gospel. It's not a take it or leave it. It's not the gospel is the gospel. And gladness is a nice thing that might come along with it. It's part and parcel of the gospel. It's part and parcel of the good news that Jesus has proclaimed and the work that he has done. There is no such thing, no such thing as a joyless gospel, a grouchy gospel, a grumpy gospel. There's no such thing. That is why Paul, I don't mean to get too complex here, but Paul to the Galatians can ask, where's all your well-being? Where's, in other words, in this language, where's your joy? Where's your gladness? Because if that is missing, something has gone wrong with your understanding of the gospel because they go together. You can't have one without the other. You've been clothed in Christ. You've been clothed with gladness. Parentheses. I hope you understand something from previous sermons that you've heard me preach. I'm not going to explain this. We live in the now and the not yet. We live in the now and the not yet. Blake pointed this out well in the questions that came from the shorter catechism. In the first of those questions, we look at life right now, and we say, in the life right now, we have given to us joy in the Holy Ghost. It is a down payment. In our deaths, our, our souls are made perfect in glory, but it awaits the resurrection of the dead for our souls and our bodies to be united and to be perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. We live right now in the now and the not yet. Think of it this way. You have hand-me-down clothes of gladness. They came from your elder brother. Your elder brother, Jesus, gave you his clothes of gladness. Right now, they're a little big. They're a little bit big. They, they feel a little big. We haven't grown into them yet. The promise of the gospel is I'll make sure you do. I'll make sure through the working of my Holy Spirit that these garments fit you perfectly. Holiness, gladness, and righteousness, they will all fit you perfectly in the day of the resurrection of the dead. So we're not saying, of course, that there won't be any more mourning or even that there won't be any sackcloth. You need to have some black 
in your closet. Okay? You, you need to have some because there'll be dark times to come when, if not sackcloth, then at least black is the color you're going to need to wear because of what we are experiencing in this world. But what we are saying is this. Metaphorically, spiritually, check your closet. What kind of clothes are hanging up in your closet? Are there in your closet dancing clothes? Clothes of gladness, clothes of celebration. Your wardrobe should be full of the clothing of gladness given to you by the one who is in full possession of it. Jesus has it in spades, and he's happy to give garments of gladness to you as people. Don't be afraid of gladness. It will be yours fully. And if right now you're saying, you know what, I, I don't feel the gladness, then Jesus has a word. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be made full. The words of the possessor of all gladness and the one delighted to give it to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do not deserve the least of this. We deserve only sackcloth and ashes and to lie prostrate, to fast, to rend the garments that we have on our bodies even right at this moment. Why are we the beneficiaries of this clothing? of this gladness. To that, we cannot give an answer. We cannot respond apart from the fact that you have loved us, you have called us, you have chosen us, and we rejoice in it. Lord, may each here know the delight of the clothing that you have and are and will give to us. And Lord, let us grow into it. Make us glad. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.